Good morning. Before we begin our study uh, in the Gospel of John, I wanted to share a, uh, a bit of a devotional with you this morning that uh, actually was uh, yesterday's uh, daily devotional in the uh, Bible Pathways. So those of you that are doing Bible Pathways will, will be familiar with this uh, particular passage. Uh, we're going right now through the book of Numbers and uh, in particular uh, the, uh, the time when God has Moses send in 12 spies into the land to spy out the land for 40 days. And uh, when the report comes back, uh, 10 of the spies uh, were focused upon the problems with the giants in the land and, and having to battle and in, in, in conquering the land uh, without trusting the Lord, of course. And uh, yet in the text of uh, Numbers 13, there is the statement of the man named Caleb, who along with Joshua were both believers and trust, trusting in God, and so Caleb was the one who, who stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. And uh, oh, to have faith like Caleb, to just trust God, after God has given so much uh, assurance that he is with the people and has been with them since they left the land of Egypt. The thought for that day in, in the devotional itself was, was what struck me uh, quite profoundly because at, at one time I had been a, uh, a teacher in the public schools and so this, this might uh, awaken the, uh, uh, the mindset of those who are, who are uh, educators. But uh, the thought for today, and this was yesterday of course, from the reading of Numbers 12 and 13 is this, and the thought was, and I quote, God is not our guidance counselor. He is our leader master. He does not point us in the right direction. He sets our destination. Think about that. How we see God, how we perceive him, whether as just one that's there when we need him, or one that's there always. One who is our leader and master and we must follow. Or, or one that is only there in our times of great need. He doesn't point us in the right direction. He sets our destination. And this is how we need to now look at God from that perspective. That he is the one who sets our destination sets our way. We are to walk in the way that is right before him. And of course, we know that the way is Jesus Christ. So I wanted to share this to encourage you. When you meditate upon things like this, and even if you might be reading another devotional or, or using another devotional to, uh, to maintain your daily Bible reading, Consider sometimes how profound some things may be stated 
and meditate upon it long enough to know that there is at times changes that need to be made in our own minds, in our own thinking, but most importantly in our hearts toward God and toward Christ. The scripture that is given at that time was Hebrews 11 verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. As I considered that in in closing, I also realized how important it is in light of the text that we're looking at in John today. So if you will, turn to John chapter 11 in your Bibles. And uh, our text is going to be found in verses 28 through 45. We have, uh, this is the fourth part of our study in chapter 11, which began with Uh, the knowledge that uh, the friend of Jesus, Lazarus, was sick. But ever since then, Lazarus has not only been sick, but he dies. And not only is he dead, but he's been dead for four days. And it's taken us four weeks to get there. So I have to let you know today, Lazarus is truly dead uh, in our text. But uh, another great thing is going to happen today, which is what this is all about. So a message had been sent, of course, to, to Jesus when he was in Bethabara, which was in the other side of, of the Jordan. Now he was in more private ministry than he had been before. And the message came from Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus, that their brother Lazarus was dying. In fact, though, we know from the text that when Jesus uh, received the message Lazarus had already died because when he held back coming for four days when he arrives uh, Lazarus had already been uh, in the grave for four days so now Jesus and his disciples were, were very near the town of Bethany the home of, of Lazarus, Mar- uh, Martha and Mary and he was met by a very distraught Martha who had probably been wondering why it took the Lord so long to respond to the message that she and Mary had sent to Jesus about Lazarus being sick unto death. Now, we all know that Martha wasn't at all shy to let Jesus know her feelings and concerns now that Lazarus had died. So we want to pick up in reading verse 20 as just kind of a, a review of where we've been. And we're told in verse 20 that Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. The language is written in such a way that it makes us realize that she didn't just go. She went quickly to where Jesus was. But uh, Mary sat still in the house. And then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the, la- in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. Now what he's saying, and, and what we need to understand is the, the, the way that he tells her this. He, he has just finished saying, thy brother shall rise again. Martha goes into the realization, you know, well, well wait a minute, Lord, I know that he's going to rise again. Because of, they believed in the resurrection of the dead. But Jesus, it was as if Jesus was saying, no, Martha, you're not listening to me. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection now. 
I am the life now, and he that believeth in me now, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? He says, Martha, do you believe this? And her response is, 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 uh, is classic. She, she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. But have you noticed that also that she didn't say, and I believe that he'll rise right now. <laughs> so keep that in mind. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. And now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. And then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Shall we pray? Our Father, we ask for the blessing and the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon all who are here today, upon our minds and our hearts, to truly grasp and understand, Lord, the truths that you would have us to take hold of, Lord, not only for this day, but for the rest of our lives until Jesus comes again. Today we, we pray, Lord, for, for those who are going through times of struggle with loved ones, not only dying, but close to death. We, we pray for Ernie's uh, brother, Hector Gonzalez, who is near death today because of cancer. We pray for him, Lord. We pray for his comfort. Lord, we pray for the family. We pray for their peace to be in you. We pray for Irene Muniz's uh, family, whose uh, uh, sister's uh, not only husband died, but in a day earlier, their son died. Two deaths in one weekend. How painful that has to be, Lord, for this family. And here we are today realizing, Lord God, how we deal with death, but how we must deal also with your power over death. Help us to understand these things today. In Jesus' name, amen. How differently these two sisters, Martha and Mary, dealt with the very same situation. If there was any similarity between them, it, it had to be that they both just hurried to Jesus. When they heard that he had called for them or that he was coming, that they, they both at different times rushed to where Jesus was. But Martha came to Jesus and stood erect before him face to face with the Lord, as I mentioned last time. Today, Mary hastily goes to Jesus and falls at his feet. Totally different. A totally different approach, a totally different attitude to their brother's death. They both said similar words to Jesus, 
We were told, as we read earlier, that uh, Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Mary said, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Martha spoke her words more than likely in a very strong and determined tone. But Mary cried her words at the feet of Jesus. How different these hearts were, yet they were suffering the same pain and the same loss. I had mentioned last time that Martha had a a complaining, limited faith in the Lord Jesus. She believed in Jesus, but she didn't rest in her faith. I think this is a tremendous lesson for all of us. That if we're going to trust in Jesus, we need to trust him completely and rest in, his, it rest in faith in him because no matter what we face, he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you through these times. But Martha didn't rest in her faith. She didn't entrust the whole matter into the hands of Jesus. She was like many of us trying to figure out why things happened. Asking that great question, why? So Martha, as I mentioned as well last time, she, she wanted a theological, an intellectual answer to the question, why, Lord? Why, why, why didn't you heal him? You could have healed him from, from as far away as you were. You could have come quicker. Why did my brother have to die? Mary, on the other hand, Mary needed emotional support. She needed to know that Jesus cared, which of course he did. She asked the same question to Jesus. But in a totally different attitude. She stated to him, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. They both believed. But how did the Lord handle both of these sisters? How did he handle their approach to Lazarus' death? You know, we all mourn differently, don't we? Everyone deals with death differently. Sometimes similarly, but with variation. Some are more emotional, others uh, are more inward. Some would rather express their pain quietly in a way. Others are not worried at all who sees or who listens. Sometimes I can get under our own skins. But what about Jesus? Because this is what matters here, is to know how he sees us when we face these times of death and tragedy. How did he meet and handle these sisters? Well, we know that he met them without reservation and without rebuke. If he rebukes at all, he'll rebuke Martha a little bit later. But in this particular time, he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't set parameters for them. 
He just meets them. He met them with great compassion. Which is what we need to know about our God and our Lord who has great compassion when we suffer loss and the pain of loss. Besides, who better to understand our feelings than the one who made us and created us than the one who knows us better than anyone and as I've oftentimes said, better than we know ourselves. Who better than Jesus? Verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, saw Mary weeping, Now, this weeping, by the way, is not just crying, but wailing from the very depth of her soul, wailing loudly. When Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping in this manner, but not only Mary, it says, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, the very same word, the very same way. We're told he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. As Jesus heard the wailing going on by the sisters and by those who had come to comfort them, Jesus himself groaned, it says, in the spirit. The Greek word here for groaned literally means to snort with anger. I mean, he was snorting with anger. You know, hope I didn't wake anybody up. I don't know if he did it that way. That was probably a poor representation of groaning and anger. That was more like a bull groaning and snorting in a china shop. (laughs) But Jesus groaned in anger. And while some interpreters may think that the Lord was reacting in anger to the loud wailing and mourning of the friends and neighbors, his groaning... And his agitation, which is actually what what the word trouble there means, reflects more the fact that he was deeply moved by the whole scene of sorrow and death. Not at Mary. Not at the neighbors who had come to comfort her and were wailing along with her. Mary was broken and she was... She was broken in sorrow. Martha was gripped by pain and by hurt. If anything, Jesus' displeasure, his indignation, his outrage was aimed at the devastating effects of sin and its consequence. In other words, he was angered at what death had done. Every one of us was born in sin. That's just what, it, what the scripture says. After the fall of man, we would all be born with a sin nature. Not one would be born perfect and sinless except one, Jesus himself. All of us were born with a sin nature. And sin has its devastating consequences. 
In fact, in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, we see a little picture of that, that progression of sin. It says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And this, of course, we know from the very beginning. When man sinned and disobeyed God by eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when God had warned that the day that you eat of that fruit, that day you will begin to die. And sin brought forth death. The Apostle Paul would say in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are, are we getting an understanding here why Jesus had to come to this earth? Because if he doesn't come, we'd all be in trouble. If left to ourselves, I'm wondering if we would have even reached this generation if left to ourselves. Man would have destroyed himself many times over. So take a moment to remember that Jesus came from a place where there is no sin or sorrow. Where there are no tombs or tears. But for nearly 33 years, he had seen an ocean of tears and had healed many broken hearts in the process. But Lazarus was a special friend, as were his sisters to Jesus. It makes us understand, to some extent, how we are when, when we recognize that someone is suffering from a loss of a loved one. And there are various levels of grief that we partake in to, to go to comfort them. If it's, if it's someone we hear about that is a relative acquaintance of ours, not a relative, but a, a relatively a acquaintance of ours, and uh, we may, may know them from one uh, level of friendship to another but you know they're, they're they're not all that close but we know them and we know their family we go and we comfort them we we give our condolences we we may not even shed a tear but we're there for them those who are friends that are much closer sometimes even friends that are as close as a brother in our lives would would seem to bring a little bit more of an emotion in us and we We'll go and many times we will shed tears with them over the things that we remember. But when death comes to someone very close, especially family, sometimes it's hard to contain our tears. It's hard to contain our emotions. In this particular respect, we see Jesus 
in his humanness. Never one sinning because Jesus never sinned, but expressing his own heartfelt pain because of what he knew sin had caused to bring this kind of death. You see, death leads, always leads to desolation and despair. And he saw it all around him. He was also heading to his own death and nearing that ground. So we have to realize that as well. And then in verse 34, he said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. And then we arrive at the smallest verse in the scriptures, the shortest verse, verse 35, Jesus wept. Some people might consider it fascinating that uh, Jesus would actually ask where Lazarus' grave was, because here parenthetically we all would say, well, Jesus knows where everybody is, right? He knows all things because he's God. And that is, of course, true. So that's why I say it would be fascinating that uh, some people would think that Jesus actually asked where Lazarus' grave was, but, but, he, but he asked possibly for two good reasons. Now, there's maybe some conjecture here, but, but nonetheless, uh, he, he asked for possibly two good reasons. First of all, if he had gone straight to the tomb, let's just say, if he had just gone straight to the tomb itself, the possibility existed that some of the more critical Jewish leaders would, would charge him with being in collusion with Lazarus to trick the people. Now, some of you might think, well, did they really want to trick people back then? Folks, sin is sin. It's been around a long time. People are always trying to run scams by us here in the 21st century. They did it back then, too, in the first. But Jesus didn't. And certainly all the evidence would, would, would bear that out. Jesus wasn't even near the city. He was a day's journey away. So some would say, well, then Jesus asked so that he would make it clear that there was no hanky-panky. Secondly, he may have wanted to draw the people's attention away from the wailing, away from that deep crying to arouse an expectation in those present. Now this may be more viable because here, here's the thing. Everybody knew who Jesus was. They had heard the stories. Some of them may have even seen what Jesus had done. Healing a lame man on the Sabbath at the pool of Bethesda, Healing the eyes of a, of a blind man in, in chapter 9 of, of John. And, and doing, doing that, you know, to the displeasure, as it were. Both situations to the displeasure of the religious leaders. Feeding the 5,000 men and their families. All these things. They've heard the stories. So when this Jesus comes and says... Where is Lazarus laid? All that crying, all that wailing probably ceased. Why is he asking? 
What's going to happen? What is he going to do? But if we can take anything out of this, uh, this little passage, it, it, it is this. It, it is good to know. It is good to know that Jesus knows where every dead person is. It is good to know that Jesus knows where every dead person is, both physically and spiritually. And I'll tell you this. He knew there were a lot of dead people that day following him to Lazarus' grave. He knew they were dead. They were dead spiritually. Read Ephesians chapter 2. Because before you came to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were dead in your trespasses and sins too. You were alive physically, but you were dead spiritually. And if those people wish to escape death, those who were perked up by the things that Jesus had said, they needed to look to him. Just as we needed to look to Jesus for eternal life. Does not the most popular verse of scripture to the believer in Jesus Christ come to mind? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believeth in him. It is a matter of faith, isn't it? But how many of those people that day had heard Jesus say earlier on in John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So knowing these things, Knowing that Jesus had said these things, knowing what Jesus had done in the past, for him to say, where is Lazarus' grave? And then he weeping. Brings to mind the question, why? Why did he weep? Well, certainly Jesus wept over death. He wept over man's pain and sorrow. He wept over man's suffering and destiny without Christ. You know, it is highly significant to note that man was never made for sin and death. We we weren't created, by the way, initially, we weren't created for sin and death. We were created for righteousness and for life. And so all that sin and death has ever done is deceive and lie. All that sin has ever done is misuse and defeat, hurt and maim, destroy and corrupt, separate and alienate, condemn and doom people for eternity. That's all that sin and death does. Is there any of us here that want to like that? I'm amazed at how many people today have this fascination with death. 
and, and, and you know, I, I think there's some prophetic thing that's going on, you know, when we have such a, such an interest, you know, in, in the walking dead, you know, and zombies. So much zombie talk around. Looks like there's some zombies here today. I hope they wake up. What's the fascination with it? All that sin and death ever do is destroy. I mean, Jesus had already declared in the previous chapter in John 10 verse 10, the thief cometh not but for to what? To steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. But here's something of great interest. People saw Jesus weeping. They had an idea as to why he was weeping. Oh, what, what, what love he had for his friend. We'll see that in just a moment. But here is something of great interest. What everyone else could not see, Jesus could. What everyone else could not see, Jesus could see. The people only saw a man weeping for the loss of a friend. Jesus saw much more. Listen, Jesus could see Lazarus in paradise, in the presence of God and his saints, along with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the spirits of just men made perfect, as Paul would later say in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus could see this. Why? Because, folks, Lazarus was dead. And he not only was dead, but he was dead for four days. That was the seal of death. And because Lazarus was a righteous man, a blameless man, a good man who had believed in God, but now he also believed in Jesus Christ, where do you think he was? And if there was one more reason for Jesus to weep, consider that the Lord was about to call Lazarus back to a world of sin and anguish and pain. Don't ever forget that the, the saddest part of this story is the fact that Lazarus would have to die again. And Jesus knew this. And he wept. The Jews said, verse 36, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, snorting with anger, cometh to the grave. By the way, John then gives us a, 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 an observation of critical importance. He says, it was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, and I think that there's no other, no, no better translation than the King James for this. But Martha saith unto Jesus, unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he has been dead four days. 
So the people may have wondered about Jesus' strong display of feeling, his weeping. But what they didn't realize was that he loved them too. You know why? Because they were dead in their sins. He loved them too, just as much as he loved Lazarus. Each and every one of them he loved. Just like he loves each and every one of you. But they also wondered at his apparent display of failure. Because they brought up this very statement. Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Here's the question that so many people ask. From the agnostic to the blatant unbeliever to the the blatant atheist. If God is an all-powerful, omnipotent God, if he is a good God, why does he then allow such suffering and sorrow and injustice and pain and death? Why? If he's all-powerful, well, then he's not good. And if he is good, then he's not all-powerful. This is how the world tries to perceive God. But their view is incomplete. They're not looking from the very beginning where man fell. God has never fallen. God has never failed. But man has. And for God to be as merciful as he is today is only testament that he is not only omnipotent, but that he is also a good God. And as Jesus approached the tomb, he continued to groan at their unbelief and their questioning his power. And John makes an important observation. As I said earlier, it was a cave and a stone lay upon it. John is pointing out the finality of the tomb. This is what is before Jesus. This is what the people see. It is the finality. The stone is over the grave. It is sealed. Lazarus is dead. He is buried and he's sealed in his grave. It was unmistakable. And Jesus yet still says, take ye away the stone. Take it away. That was his first order of business. Take away the stone. Now we know one thing. We all know this. At least we should. That Jesus could have blasted that stone right off the cave opening and turned it into billions of pieces by the word of his power. Or even by the breath of his nostrils, he could have knocked that stone out of the way. Or he could have commanded the stone to roll away. Stone, roll away. Woo! Gone. But this wasn't about performing wonders for the sake of astounding the people. Remember that Jesus had said, this sickness is not unto death, but it is for the glory of God and the glory of his son. Martha, on the other hand, more than likely thought that Jesus just wanted to see the body of Lazarus in a moment of pain, last respects. Oh, please, Lord, don't do that. I mean, been in there four days. 
It was unthinkable to her her that Jesus would even ask such a thing. Oh, ye of little faith. Having been a law enforcement chaplain for over 15 years, I've spent a lot of time with people who have lost loved ones in hospitals and even at times been with them at the morgue or the medical examiner's office and Many times the family members will say, I want to see my loved one. I want to see them. Uh, Usually when it's at the medical examiners, there's been a lot of damage possibly done to the body and they just try to discourage them from that, but they still want to see. Whether it be just because they, until they see, they won't believe that they're gone whatever the case may be. And that's, again, another way that people deal with death. But Martha totally misunderstood Jesus' purpose. And she had forgotten his words. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said it in such a way that he said, I am the resurrection and the life now. I am, not I will be. I am now. And it is the fifth of his I am statements. And if there was a family that would have known everything that Jesus would have said and done, it would have been Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary, as close as they were. Always wanting to know what Jesus was doing. They would have known that he had once said, I am the light of the world. They would have known that he had said, I am the bread of life. I am the door of the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd of the sheep. And now he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? In a more loving way, we could say it this way and be accurate. That Jesus said to her, Martha, didn't I tell you? Martha, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. And then they took the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me and I, know, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. That's a tremendous prayer, by the way. It's the kind of prayer that we need to be careful of praying ourselves because we're not Jesus. There are times when we, we gather together and we will pray for people and 
And there'll be some people sometimes in our prayer groups that we we know is going through a a thing, but we don't want to be too out front and telling them, you know, you need to get your act together, whatever. So we, we try to tell them in prayer. Oh, Lord, you know, bless that person that might be here today. You know, that they need to listen to what your word says in John chapter this or Ephesians chapter that. And they need to listen. There are about three people down from me. <laughs> You're not Jesus. <laughs> this was his prayer. And he could pray it because he was perfect. And he laid down the purpose. He said, because of the people which stand by, I said it. That they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice. And many of you are saying, finally. (laughs) Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. Bound hand and foot with grave clothes, the mummy strikes. And his face was bound with a napkin. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths. And they loosed him (laughs) upon Jesus' command. Jesus saith unto them, loose him and let him go. Because you see, when the Lord sets us free, he sets us free Indeed. And there's nothing that this world can bind us to when we're free in Christ. Didn't I tell you, Martha? Didn't I tell you that if you would just believe, you would see the glory of God? Oh, could she have forgotten so soon those words? When even Martha, saying that she trusted and believed, I know that that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And she said, yes, I believe it. But was her belief still a limited faith? Was her belief still limited to what she could only see? Her answer, not more than a half hour earlier, was one of of great faith and trust and reassurance. But now Jesus is mildly rebuking her for her chronic lingering unbelief. Yet yet, uh, more than than this, Jesus was challenging Martha. Challenging her to take an enormous leap of faith. Because he wanted her to conquer her complaining. And to set aside her objections. Simply he wanted her to rest in him. And in doing so she would see the glory of God. So Martha's objection was overruled and Jesus' command succeeded. The stone was removed. Uh, Mary did not protest, by the way. She was... Probably trusting the Lord implicitly implicitly, without question. Jesus' prayer in verses 41 and 42 reminds us that his role is as our mediator and intercessor. Because he prays for us still. 
His trust was Godward. His testimony was manward. So when you look at this prayer in verses 41 and 42, his trust was Godward when he says, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. His testimony was toward man or manward as he says that they may believe that thou hast sent me. It was a prayer for the sake of those gathered around the open tomb, including his disciples, as the dramatic miracle was about to take place. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. I've said often that if Jesus had just said, come forth, whoever was in any grave would have come out. And there'd have been a lot of mummies and daddies all over the place. But he said, Lazarus. You see, Jesus spoke with that very same word of power, which at the very beginning of time commanded light to be, and light was. It was with the very same word of power that spoke to the drenching waves and howling winds as Jesus with his disciples on, on, on the Sea of Galilee would say, be still, and immediately there was calm. It was the same word of power that said to the leper, be cleansed, and the leper was cleansed, and the leprosy vanished. At the sound of the voice of Jesus, corruption put on incorruption. Albeit temporarily, but corruption put on incorruption. Nonetheless, death was swallowed up in victory. This was a foreshadowing of things to come. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, he no longer had his sickness. He no longer had disease. If Jesus was going to raise Lazarus, he was going to raise him perfect. Yes, he was going to have to again face the world. Yes, he was going to have to again face a world that was stained with sin and death and pain and anguish. And eventually, as I said before, he would have to die again. But nonetheless, he was a type of that which is going to happen to all who believe in Jesus when Jesus comes again. We are told that at the voice of the archangel, at the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air and to ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. This is what we as the church are waiting for. This is what we're looking for. The coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to gather his church together. His people, his body, both the dead in Christ and we who are alive and remain. If that wasn't what he meant, then what did he mean? Seems pretty simple to me. There are a lot of people today, even in the church, that are mocking this understanding of the rapture of the church. Mocking the coming of Jesus for his people. But it's very clear in the scriptures. Consider Paul and when he says in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 51 through 57, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, which means death. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 
in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Twice it says we shall be changed. Well, who can change us but the God who made us and the God who created us and the God who is all-powerful and all-knowing? For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. That's what we've been seeing all along in this chapter of John. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw a picture of that victory at the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. He didn't come out diseased. How could he? We don't hear that he dies again, but he had to. It would have been significant if he comes out and says, thank you for raising me, and then he plops down and dies again right there. That would have been really weird, huh? Right? But the shout of Jesus was a personal shout. It was a personal one. He didn't just say, come forth. He shouted, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus knows every believer by name. And he is personally concerned over the death of each and every one of his children. The ones who truly know him will be the ones who will come forth to him in the last days. Jesus alluded to this in John chapter 10, verse 3. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And now Lazarus is alive again. Because he received Jesus' full attention when the Lord said to loose him and let him go. We are going to be loosed from the chains of the flesh of this world. We're going to be loosed to be with Jesus forever. Isn't that exciting to think about? No more pain, no more sorrow. No more tears. We still have a ways to go, don't we? Or do we? Can Jesus come at any moment? He can. He can come at any moment. Many of us are very thankful he didn't come immediately after uh, the uh, birth of the church back in the first century. 
because they were waiting for Jesus back then. John, even in the, in the, in the early stages of the second century, you know, at the end of, of, of his, toward the end of his life, you know, he, he was writing and he was saying, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And we're kind of thinking, thank you, Lord, for not hearing John's prayer, because then where would we be? See. Or the people that were living then that did not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the merciful God that we are to give praise to and thanksgiving to. Jesus expressed the same full attention to his disciples before going to the cross. Listen to what we were, we'll, we'll be studying more in, in detail later, but John 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Remember, to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. That was not only to his disciples, that was for us too. This is what we're waiting for. This is why we are told to keep looking up because your redemption draws near. So what is our reaction then to what we know to be true about what God has done through his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? In expressing his power over death. The reaction to what Jesus did and to his great power was divided. It was divided. Look at verses 45 and 46. Next week we'll start in verse 46, but look at verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary... And had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. And that sets up what we'll see at the end of chapter 11. The division. No matter what Jesus has done, do all believe and do all trust in his power over life and death. Let me close with these two scriptures. For even though there is some sense of solemnity to them, there is also a great encouragement. In John 3, verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth with all of his heart has everlasting life. He that believeth the Son, on the Son, you believe on Jesus Christ, you have everlasting life. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So because you've heard, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Romans chapter 10. But then he goes on to say, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. Now how clear is this? It's pretty clear. He that believeth not, he that rejecteth the truth of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done to give eternal life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. 
Now just remember this, that when we were born, the wrath of God abided on us because we were sinners. We were born into sin. We were born with a sin nature. And without Christ in our lives, we would die in our sins. But the moment that we come to the Lord Jesus and he cleanses us and purifies us, the wrath is lifted and salvation has come. Lastly, John 8, 24, where Jesus himself said, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am, remember that he is not there. If you believe not that I am, in other words, that I am God in the flesh, you shall die in your sins. What we know about Jesus is as important to our eternal life as what we know about what he has done for us. So this is all on the level of seriousness. Nothing to play with. Nothing to try to finagle or fandangle. Something to take to heart. That every day we are to walk in newness of life. Every day we are to walk with faith and hope and trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Will we oftentimes stumble? Sometimes we do. That's okay. The scripture says get yourself up and get right back with him. And many times he's the one that picks us up. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares. That you know him. And again, let me say, it's not about knowing about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus. So let's get to know him. Let's get to know him. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you. We bless you for the power that you, Lord God, have and that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has over sin and death. Because on the cross, Jesus himself said, to Telestai, it is finished. The work has been done and it is accomplished. His power over sin and death. And so, Lord, we are thankful for the privilege and opportunity to know you and to know your son. And I pray, Father, that none will leave here without the knowledge of Jesus Christ in their life. So, Lord, have your way with us. Let your spirit move upon our hearts, especially those who need you today, that they would respond to you and come to speak to one of our prayer people up here in just a few minutes to let them know of their need for Jesus in their lives. Let your spirit move, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I pray God's peace, his shalom, his wholeness and completeness would be yours. I pray that uh, you would take every moment seriously. 
Of course, with joy, but, but we need to realize, you see, the effects that sin had, not only upon the people, but upon the heart of Jesus, to weep as he did in this particular situation. So realize the importance of walking every day in the light of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we're to be living godly lives until the day of Jesus. Titus chapters 2 and 3, we need to read and make sure that we understand the importance of the fact that it's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. And therefore, we're to walk looking for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you need prayer for that, please feel free to come up here to the front after we sing. And, and uh, of course, after you greet each other and, and love one another in the love of the Lord Jesus, keep that in mind. The world will know that we are his disciples because we have love one for another. Amen? Amen.